Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for apple and cheddar crisp salad. This is an apple and cheddar salad. I would humbly argue an excellent one, the best I've ever made. But this recipe is also an excuse for me to share a few of the best tricks that I keep up my sleeve. But to make the kinds of complex salads I can never resist on a cafe menu at home as simply as possible. Because we deserve to have fancy, cool, crunchy, dynamic, and gorgeous salads at home, even if we do not live a life that allows us to afford fancy salads made by others on a regular basis. Here's the recipe. Apple and cheddar crisp salad. Serves two giant servings or four with a meal. Time, 30 minutes, and the source, Smitten Kitchen. This will make almost double the crispy stuff that you need for this salad, but I think you'll be glad for leftovers. An 8 to 10 ounce bundle of curly or lacinato Tuscan dinosaur kale, whatever you want to call it, with the woody stems and rib removed will yield the 5 ounces of leaves used here. I usually cut the apple right before serving just in case it's prone to browning, but not all are. And the crispy nuts are adapted from the ones on the kale salad at Beauty and Essex in the Lower East Side. For the dressing, you'll need one small shallot minced, three tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, one half teaspoon of smooth Dijon mustard, one tablespoon of mayonnaise or Greek style plain yogurt, six tablespoons of olive oil, salt and freshly ground black pepper, for the crispy stuff, you'll need one cup of sharp cheddar, coarsely grated, one cup of sliced almonds, two tablespoons of powdered sugar, one quarter teaspoon kosher salt, one quarter teaspoon of ground cayenne, and for the assembly, you'll need five ounces of kale leaves, any in variety, cut into thin ribbons, and one large crisp apple, halved, cored, and cut thin. You're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And then start the dressing. In a medium bowl, combine the shallot and apple cider vinegar and set aside while you make the crispy stuff. Make cheddar crisps and sugared almonds. Line a large half sheet size rimmed baking sheet with parchment paper. Scatter cheddar evenly over half the parchment in about 8 by 12 inch, 1 quarter inch thick rectangles. Sprinkle with a little cayenne or black pepper if you wish. And in a colander, Rinse almonds under cold water, yes really, and shake off the excess liquid. In a bowl, toss the wet almonds with powdered sugar, salt, and one quarter teaspoon of cayenne until evenly coated. Spread on second half of parchment covered baking sheet in a thin, even layer, leaving an inch around it so that uh, it can spread. Make almonds and cheddar together for four to nine minutes, or bake the almonds and cheddar together for four to nine minutes until the cheese is melted into lacy, evenly cut golden brown crisps and the almonds are dark at the edges and lightly golden throughout. Please hear me on this. Watch it closely. Both the cheddar and the almonds will go from not yet golden to perfectly bronzed to burnt in what feels like a one minute period. Check it at four minutes and then every minute or two thereafter until the pan is just right. 
Remove and let cool while you finish the salad. Then finish the dressing. To the shallots and vinegar in the bowl, whisk in Dijon, mayo, or yogurt, then drizzle in olive oil, whisking the whole time. Season the dressing with salt and lots of freshly ground black pepper. Then to assemble, in a large wide bowl or salad plate, toss the greens with two-thirds of the dressing to start and then tasting and adding the rest if you wish. Arrange the apple over the greens, fanning out slices. Break off clusters of almonds from the baking sheet and scatter them over the salad. If the cheddar crisps seem very oily, you can block it, blot it with a paper towel before tearing or cutting into large bite-sized pieces and scattering them over the salad. Season the salad with additional salt and pepper and serve right away. As far as doing ahead, the nuts can be stored in an airtight container at room temperature for a week. The cheese crisps are best kept in the fridge, lightly covered, and the dressing will keep for several days in the fridge. Washed and blotted dry kale keeps in a large zipped bag in the fridge for several days, provided you keep it out of the spots that are prone to freezing produce. Or maybe that's just my terrible fridge? Enjoy. Next, we've got a recipe for lentil and chickpea salad with feta and tahini. Yummo! I have an uneven history with chef cookbooks. I have learned the hard way more often than I've wished. Just because I might enjoy sitting down at someone's restaurant table does not mean that their work will translate into an enjoyable home cooking experience. You know, one without sous chefs and dishwashers, plural, at one's disposal and a customer base footing the bill for the Himalayan pink salt. The best of these books make for wonderful reading and bring the fresh air of a new f- flavors and tricks into your home cooking routine. But the worst, well, yikes, you're not getting those hours back. So despite the fact that I gushed about the Breslin nearly a year ago and also in an interview for Amazon, even though I fussed over the spotted pig, I didn't even consider picking up Chef April Bloomfield's book, A Girl and Her Pig, because the odds felt slim that it would provide me with anything close to the joy that her cooking does at a dark table in the Ace Hotel with a grapefruit gin and tonic in my hand. Then, after a book swept mine in the final round of a cookbook competition, and I knew from reading the gushing praise bestowed on it by an entire series of independent reviewers that I was the one missing out. When I bought the book last week, I immediately ran off to the back room to hide with it for a little while and proceed to fall deeply, immensely in love. Bloomfield might be known for her nose-to-tail cookery, but time and again, it's her way with vegetables and one-off dishes that blow me away. From the earliest pages, she taunts you with squash and pancetta toasts, toasts with ramp butter and fried quail eggs, a stack of lacy thin crepe pancakes with bacon and chilies, a spring vegetable soup with everything from Jerusalem artichokes to white beans and vinegary deviled eggs. Doesn't hurt that her go-to favorite ingredients seem to overlap with mine. Lemon, feta, garlic, cumin, sesame, and flaky sea salt. But it makes it even more fun that she had me within a day, reaching outside of my comfort zone, trying to track down rice grain-sized dried pequin chilies, P-E-Q-I-N, maybe it's Pequin, in New York, 
pulling the green germs out of the center of garlic cloves and pulling down my dusty, most ignored coffee grinder so that I could find out why she gushed so much about the flavor of freshly toasted and ground spices. It all sounds good to me. I realized at the outset the prospect of a lentil and chickpea salad doesn't sound very intriguing. Sounds like the kind of thing you'd eat because you ought to, and ought to's rarely make for delicious eating. But she uses a series of techniques to make these humble ingredients one of the most intense and complexly flavored salad experiences I've ever made at home. Thank goodness. Making the salad might seem pesky. You toast whole spices and you grind them. The onions have one treatment, the lentils another, and the dressing a third. And I seriously read the plating instructions four times, given I had a yelling three-year-old nearby. But, you know, that's real life, isn't it? And I still couldn't make sense of why it had to be so complicated. And while this is usually the point where I say, I simplified it for you, you'll make it in less time than I did. We hadn't even finished our first bite before I realized I didn't want to. I'll suggest places here and there where corners can be cut without taking away from the recipe's central awesomeness. But I also think that if you can find a little extra time to putter in the kitchen, you'll find brilliance in the way she wrote it. And that really is the fun of trying new recipes, right? So here we go, and here's the recipe for lentil and chickpea salad with feta and tahini. Tweaked just a little bit from April Bloomfield's A Girl and Her Pig book. I promised to list places where I felt the recipe could be streamlined. For example, I don't think that a tremendous amount will be lost if you don't cook your lentils with garlic cloves and sage, though they tasted and smelled amazing when I did. You could use spices that are already ground, I'd use one-third to one-half of each, if so, but my heavens, they were bursting with flavor when I started whole. You could probably press your garlic clove rather than smashing it to a paste with salt in a mortar or on a cutting board. I simplified the assembly process a little and actually skipped the preserved lemon because neither my husband nor I are very into them, and hey, we're the ones eating the dish. I used sheep's milk feta instead of goat because that's what I usually have around. Bulgarian and French are my favorite types if you find either. And I used parsley instead of cilantro. But I can promise this. Should you feel like spending a little bit of extra time in the kitchen this week, there is so much to absorb here from the amazing background sage, garlic, and olive oil infused tiny green lentils with from the roasty depth of pan-toasted, finely ground spices, the sweet nuttiness of sesame seeds toasted two shades darker to almost pickling red onion slices with lemon juice. This salad made as written was more layered and complex than I ever imagined a legume salad being, and it made my week. So for the lentils, you'll need scant one cup dried green lentils and um, picked and rinsed over. You'll need two large garlic cloves, halved lengthwise, two fresh sage sprigs, two tablespoons of olive oil, and for the dressing and salad, you'll need two teaspoons of coriander seeds, toasted and ground, one teaspoon of cumin seeds, toasted and ground, one half of a large garlic clove, salt, malden or another flaky sea salt if you've got it, 
two tablespoons of well-stirred tahini paste, one quarter cup of freshly squeezed lemon juice plus more to taste, two tablespoons plus two teaspoons of olive oil, one and three quarter cups of drained chickpeas from a 15 ounce can, low sodium if you can find them, one half of a small preserved lemon, pith and flesh discarded, rind finely diced, this is optional, one very small red onion, thinly sliced into half moons, a handful of small delicate cilantro or flat leaf parsley sprigs, a scant one quarter cup of feta, goat's milk if you can find it, otherwise use what you can get, one and a half tablespoons of raw sesame seeds toasted in a dry pan until a shade or two darker. To make the lentils, you're going to put the lentils, garlic, sage, and olive oil in a small pot along with two cups of cold water and set it over medium heat. Let the water come to a simmer, not boiling, and then turn the heat to low and cook the lentils in a very gentle simmer just until they are tender. April recommends 25 minutes, but mine took 35 and needed a touch more water at the end. Take the pan off the heat and let the lentils cool a bit before draining them. Pick out and discard the sage and garlic and you'll have about two cups of cooked lentils. Then make the dressing. Mix together the ground coriander and cumin in a small bowl. Mash the garlic clove to a paste with one teaspoon of salt, or you can use half as much kosher salt and even less tablespoon salt on a cutting board or in a mortar. In a small bowl for your dressing, combine the mashed garlic, tahini, three tablespoons of the lemon juice, two tablespoons of the olive oil, one teaspoon of the ground coriander and cumin mixture, and two tablespoons of water. Stir well, then taste. Add more lemon if desired. Assemble the salad. You're going to place onion slices in a medium bowl and break them up with your fingers. Sprinkle in two good pinches of salt and then two teaspoons of lemon juice, two remaining teaspoons of olive oil and the cilantro or parsley. Toss well and then crumble in the cheese and gently toss again. Toss the lentils with the drained chickpeas, preserved lemon rind if you're using, and one teaspoon of flaky sea salt. Use half as much kosher salt and even less table salt in a large mixing bowl. Pour in the tahini dressing and toss it all together really well and then stir in the onion feta mixture. Arrange the salad in a bowl or platter and then sprinkle the mixture with the sesame seeds and some of the remaining spices. Serve and don't forget to share. It sounds like a good one. Next, we've got a recipe for cranberry walnut chicken salad. I often read comments and emails from people who talk about liking or wanting to make a dish, but they can't because my significant other doesn't like it or this certain ingredient. I have to admit, I'm often perplexed. If they want to eat it, why don't they just make it anyway? But then I look at my own cooking repertoire and I get it. It's enough of a pain to make one dish some nights after a long day of work. But to make one that only one of you wants to eat, there's no logic in it. So I shy away from things that Alex thinks he doesn't like, such as coconut, oh, and tofu, hmm, and well, this. 
There is only one chicken salad in the entire world that I like, and my other half, he hates it. He doesn't like the cranberries, he doesn't like the walnuts, and doesn't know why anyone in their right mind would add such things to an innocent chicken salad. I made it one time three years ago, loved it, and had yet to make it since. But I drew the line last Thursday at a table full of food I don't like, like lox, whitefish salad, please don't get me started. I insisted that there be one thing that I eat and that it was made the way that I think chicken salad should taste. Crunchy, sweet, and salty, juicy, and tangy, with no curry or turmeric or any of those ghastly things other people put in theirs. See, I'm as picky as my other half. It's just that I get the final published word. So if your ideal salad sounds like my ideal salad, come pull up a chair, sit down next to me. I made more than enough to go around. Here's the recipe. Cranberry walnut chicken salad adapted quite loosely from gourmet. This makes four to six servings. You'll need four cups of cubed, about half inch cubes, cooked chicken. The total will be about one and three quarters pound. I like to brine mine first and then poach it in the water for 15 to 20 minutes because I am completely neurotic about chicken getting dried out in any way, but you don't have to do that. One cup of walnuts, toasted and chopped. One celery rib, diced into small bits. It'll make about one cup. Two or more tablespoons of finely chopped shallot. One cup of dried cranberries. Two-thirds to three-quarters cup of mayonnaise three tablespoons of tarragon vinegar, if you have it, or champagne or white wine vinegar works well too. Two tablespoons of finely chopped fresh tarragon or herb of your choice, one half teaspoon salt, one half teaspoon of black pepper, really complicated directions. Toss together all the ingredients in a large bowl until it's combined well. (laughs) I like to eat mine on top of chopped romaine lettuce or with toasted pocketless pita wedges. Pecan pie. Here's the recipe. Here are my rules for really excellent pecan pie. First, toast your nuts. Do you want it to taste intensely like pecans or just a caramel crunch? Second, dark brown sugar trumps light brown because more molasses, more flavor. Number three, golden syrup tastes amazing here and is worth the trouble of tracking it down. Number four, if you use golden syrup, do not add more than a pinch of salt. It contains a bit of sodium more than corn syrup, and I have learned the hard way. Number five, a tiny bit of cider vinegar really helps balance out the aching sweetness of a gooey caramel pie. Number six, finally, if you gild the lily, of course you do, add some chocolate. After rolling out and par-baking your crust, if desired, place it in the freezer until solid, about 15 minutes, and then melt 4 ounces of semi- or bittersweet chocolate chunks with 1 quarter cup of heavy or whipping cream until smooth. Spread it over the bottom of the cooled crust, freeze the crust again until the chocolate is solid, about another 20 minutes, before pouring in the pecan mixture. For the crust, you'll need one and one quarter cups of all-purpose flour, one and a half teaspoons of granulated sugar, one half teaspoon of fine sea or table salt, 
one stick of cold unsalted butter cut into chunks, one quarter cup of very cold water plus an additional tablespoon if needed. For the filling, six tablespoons of unsalted butter, one cup of packed dark brown sugar, three quarters cup of golden syrup, a pinch or two of sea salt, two cups of pecan halves, one teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon of bourbon, this is optional, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, and three large eggs. To make the pie dough, by hand with my one bowl method, in the bottom of a large bowl, combine the flour, salt, and sugar. Work the butter into the flour with your fingertips or a pastry blender until the mixture resembles a coarse meal and the largest bits of butter are the size of tiny peas. Some do like people do this by freezing the stick of butter and coarsely grating it into the flour, but I have not found the results as flaky. Add one quarter cup of cold water and stir with a spoon or flexible silicone spatula until large clumps form. Use your hands to knead the dough together right in the bottom of the bowl. And if necessary to bring the dough together, you can add the last tablespoon of water. With a food processor, in the work bowl of a food processor, you're going to combine your flour, salt, and sugar, and then add butter and pulse the machine until the mixture resembles a coarse meal, and the largest bits of butter are the size of tiny peas. Turn the mixture out into a mixing bowl, and add one quarter cup of cold water, and stir with a spoon or flexible silicone spatula until large clumps form. Use your hands to knead the dough together right in the bottom of the bowl, and if necessary to bring the dough together, you can add the last tablespoon of water. For both methods, you're going to wrap your dough in a sheet of plastic wrap and refrigerate for at least one hour and up to 48 hours. Or you can quick firm this in the freezer for 15 minutes. Longer than two days, it's best to freeze it until needed. Then form the crust. On a floured counter, roll the dough out into a 12 to 13 inch circular shape. Fold dough gently in quarters without creasing and transfer to a 9-inch standard, not deep dish, pie plate. Unfold the dough and trim the overhang to about one half inch. Fold the overhang under the edge of the pie crust and crimp decoratively. If you're not par-baking, place it in the fridge until you're ready to, uh, to fill it. And if you are par-baking, place it in the freezer for 20 minutes until solid. To par-bake the crust, this is optional, but it will lead to a crisper base. You're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and line the frozen crust with a lightly buttered or oiled foil. Fill with pie weights, dried beans or pennies, and bake on a rimmed baking sheet for 20 minutes. Carefully remove the foil and weights and let cool a little bit before filling. Then heat the oven or reduce the oven heat if you just parboiled your crust to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Prepare the filling. You're going to spread the pecans on a rimmed baking sheet and toast in the oven for 10 to 12 minutes, stirring once or twice so that they toast evenly. Set aside until needed. And if you like smaller bits, you can chop them or as shown here, chop half of half of them. Although I usually leave them whole. In a medium saucepan, combine the butter, brown sugar, golden syrup, and pinch of salt. Bring to a simmer over medium heat and cook for two minutes, stirring. Remove from the heat and stir into the pecans, 
cider vinegar, vanilla, and bourbon if you're using it, and pour into a bowl so that it cools faster, and set the mixture aside to cool a little bit, about 5 to 10 minutes. Then whisk in one egg at a time until combined and pour the mixture into the prepared pie shell. You're going to bake for 40 to 45 minutes. The pie is done when the edges are set and puffed slightly and the center is slightly firm to the touch but still has some jiggle to it. Cool on a rack and serve slightly warm or at room temperature. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.